Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, we continue covering the impacts of the new coronavirus on our community. The Southern Arizona Community Food Bank has seen demand double in the last two weeks as restrictions and social distancing measures have gone into effect with the spread of coronavirus. Michael McDonald, the food bank's CEO, says that in the last three weeks they've helped about 18,000 families at just their Country Club Road location. And we are seeing family after family, household after household, who we've never seen before. And we have kept very long records in our database, so we know who has used our services before. We're seeing more people than ever, brand new people. It's because they're getting laid off from their job. How's the supply chain holding up? We hear lots of problems about grocery stores, but how's inventory for you all? While demand is more than doubled in places like Southern Arizona, there is a steady, consistent supply of USDA or Department of Agriculture food. It's a variety of food. It's across a full nutritional spectrum. It's non-perishable canned foods, which people think of at the food bank or bags, but is also perishable meat protein, dairy, produce. We are supplementing that with fresh produce coming out of Mexico that is good and hasn't found a home. So we've got quite a bit of food in inventory right now, about 45 days of inventory. So food supply looks strong. The only snafu is every grocery store needs to be restocked right now. And so the trucking industry is maxed out. So often food banks get down to the bottom of that um, supply chain. Governor Ducey has activated the National Guard to help with restocking and things. Have you all seen any of that or do you even need it at this point? Definitely. We're so grateful for the Arizona National Guard and Governor Ducey activating the National Guard because the Guard's people are helping restock grocery stores for all of us as community members, but also food banks, especially large ones like the Community Food Bank. And we support about 400 other agencies or nonprofits throughout the five counties that we serve. And so our main hub on Country Club is where a lot of that USDA food comes. We've got to take it from big pallets and bulk food and get it down into bags and boxes that people can walk away with and that we can stick in people's cars because of our drive-through distribution methods now because of social distancing. I know you all rely a lot on volunteers with all the social distancing and things like that. Do you have the volunteers you need? so many of our community's volunteers, regardless of the nonprofit, especially the community food bank, are seniors. They're folks who are retired. And so often they need to be social distancing and staying at home for their own health reasons. So we did see an immediate loss of volunteers. We have been able to get overwhelming community support right now for more volunteers, younger folks, folks who are healthy and are maybe having to stay at home, food banks, are essential services under the governor's stay-at-home directives. So if you volunteer at a food bank, you're a staff member at a food bank, you can show up and volunteer. We still need volunteers. We're grateful for what we've received, but this is not a couple weeks uh, issue. This is gonna be months. So we're gonna need more community support in terms of volunteers for many months. The legislature uh, passed some bills and the governor signed them. Uh, One of them set aside a million dollars for food banks in Arizona right now. 
How badly do you all need that? And do you know when you're going to see that money? The Community Food Bank of Southern Arizona will receive $290,000 as soon as we get our paperwork into the governor's office. And we have had a, a significant increase in expenses to try to retool our distribution methods. We've got off-duty police officers to pay for. We've got people who direct traffic to pay for. We've got so many extra costs to make this safe social distancing distribution happen that we're going to be applying uh, a lot of the, the, those funds to pay for these higher COVID-19 response crisis needs. With so many people now losing jobs, be they laid off or just hours cut back, do you all help them apply for WIC and SNAP, uh, which most people know as food stamps and things like that? We do, and we've done that for many decades. We have essentially a case management team that assists people applying for SNAP or food stamps and WIC and other needed human services. That team continues to function. There are some appointments that need to be made because we just can't have walk-ins at this point. Uh, but we continue to offer those services as does the Department of Economic Security. And I assume that those numbers are also going up just uh, people looking for that assistance just as people looking for some help for a, a box of food, a bag of food also. Absolutely. Food banks are good at getting you food today, but we do not solve all of your food needs. And certainly the safety net services provided by the federal government, for instance, SNAP or food stamps, is utterly necessary to stretch your food budget, get you more resources. You get to use that purchasing card, that power at a grocery store. So that helps people People stay employed, keeps the food system working. Unfortunately, the federal government of late has been putting down a lot of crackdown on who is allowed to get access to food stamps or SNAP. How long do those benefits last in the state of Arizona? We are certainly advocating at all levels, state and federal, please stop this nonsense. We're in the middle of a pandemic. People need to eat, it's a human right let people have access to SNAP benefits and food resources. When you get out into some of the rural areas uh, outside of Tucson, are those community food banks hurting more than Tucson or is it even across the board? I think the need for food resources during this pandemic is pretty widespread. But if you're in rural Southern Arizona, you have a food pantry who's a partner of the food bank, we're still getting food to that food pantry. Often those food pantries are run by elderly volunteers and not every food pantry may be able to stay open. We do a lot of drive up or mobile distributions from the back of our trucks in many parts of rural Arizona. We may have to do more of that and to be able to have the financial contributions to pay for that, to be able to have the partners out in the community to help coordinate that if a food pantry in the middle of rural Arizona has to close for whatever reason. And that's a possibility in the next few weeks and months. McDonald says the community can help the food bank in two ways, by volunteering or making an online donation. Last week, we asked you to send us your questions about COVID-19. To get some of them answered, we checked in with Paula Mandel. She's the deputy director at the Pima County Health Department. Our first question? As COVID-19 cases increase, how prepared are local hospitals? 
So what we do each day is we check in with our hospitals um, to get the latest what we call bed count, how they're doing with their staff, what their needs are, and um, if they're doing any testing, how many tests they've done in a day. What we've heard so far is um, here in uh, Tucson, in Pima County, we're doing pretty good. Most of the hospitals have plenty of um, bed capacity. Um, they are doing well for staff capacity. Um, and like the rest of the state and like the rest of the nation, I think their biggest concern at this time is about that personal protective equipment, which we're trying to assist them with. But at this point, our hospitals look prepared and ready for what we're calling as the surge. Do you have, based on the data, any thoughts when that surge could hit? We can try to make projections. I think um, messaging that we've seen at ADHS for the state of Arizona is maybe April, um, May. But again, anytime you have a new pathogen, there are so many unknowns. It, it's really hard to say. We just know that we have to be prepared because we know that there will be an increase in cases. Looking at the Pima County numbers, it seems like right now, at least, most cases are hitting people between the ages of 18 and 65. Is that normal or is Pima County some sort of an outlier? No, um, we are pretty much, as far as our demographics, we are falling in pretty consistent with the state and with the nation. We've had several listeners share stories about having symptoms of coronavirus and not being able to get tested. I think what people really want to know is, why aren't more people being tested? Yes, that's a question we hear each and every day. Um, and the reason for is the fact that there, it, there's such a limited supply of testing. Um, so you have to have a special media um, that the test swab goes into. And there has been a short supply both of that media and of the swabs. So all of the supplies that we need in order to make the test kits are backordered. Um, and as they become available, they are quickly used. So um, it's a supply and demand. Another listener wanted to know, are influenza strain A and coronavirus disease mutually exclusive? So if someone with symptoms tested positive for flu A, can we conclude it's not COVID-19? So, yes, they are both viruses, but they're two different viruses. So we have the influenza virus and then we have coronaviruses. What we've always encouraged since this has started is that somebody has a respiratory panel and we're looking both to see if first whether they may have, you know, influenza or some other respiratory illness. And if they are not positive for those and their symptoms warrant that, you know, we test for the coronavirus. We also have a question that was left for us on our listener voicemail from Pat. I'm Pat Carrera, and uh, in early January, about 10 days after uh, a Christmas party, three of the seven of us at the party got very, very, very sick. I would like to know if I did have the coronavirus, is there any way that testing will identify that I've already had the virus? 
And if I have, am I contagious to others? And if not, then perhaps I could be of value in the community. So that's, that is a really good question. We are, you know, again, in such um, the early stages of this virus and the response. We are hoping that as, um, as we are testing and as more people get over being symptomatic with COVID, that we will be able to test them at, you know, future points in time to see if, um, you know, they have built immunity to the COVID virus. We, we struggle each and every day um, at the health department. How are we going to um, continue to respond to this event? We know that it's not going to be over in a couple of weeks. It's going to be with us for a while. And so if we can identify individuals who have been ill with COVID um, and they have recovered, would they be willing to help care for individuals who are sick at that time? In the future, yes, we hope that people will be tested and it will show that they have built immunity to COVID. One of our listeners wrote in uh, this question that they've heard that ibuprofen exacerbates symptoms, especially pneumonia, by affecting the immune response that fights back. Is that true or not? Again, there there just is not enough data yet to, to support that one way or the other. And I assume if if you have COVID-19 and you take ibuprofen or Tylenol or some other over-the-counter and things get worse, you have a bad reaction, call your doctor and stop doing what you're doing. Exactly. If you're experiencing mild symptoms, um, you know, however you are trying to alleviate those symptoms, if your symptoms are not improving but are worsening, you most definitely need to reach out to your primary care provider or seek assistance, um, you know, um, in, in our emergency rooms. Um, we, we want people to be aware that, yes, there are some people who are just exhibiting mild symptoms, but if your symptoms change, if they give you cause to be concerned, if you start experiencing difficulty breathing, shortness of breath, chest pain, then you really need to be evaluated for further care. That was Paula Mandel with the Pima County Health Department answering questions you submitted. School districts across the state are scrambling to continue teaching students in light of Monday's decision by state leaders to close schools for the rest of the academic year. Vanessa Barchfield talked with Gabriel Trujillo, the superintendent of the Tucson Unified School District, about his reaction to the shutdown. I think it's the right call. The decision, uh, I think, addresses the very human aspect of a community in fear and a terrified workforce, which I know that my workforce is not the only one that is really, really scared of this virus that is everywhere yet nowhere, and a sense that it can come for anybody at any time. So I think the closure mitigates a lot of that. At the end of the day, was the best decision that could have been made for Arizona's kids. What will remote learning look like in the context of TUSD? Well, right now, the immediate crisis point for our district is to address the very dangerous gap in access and opportunity that's exacerbated the digital divide. We have about 15,000 families in the district that don't have any access to the internet or a device. And so right now they find themselves totally cut off uh, from any educational opportunities that we would be able to offer online. So that for us is the first priority. 
Last week, we rushed every available dollar we could, $3.5 million to purchase 18,000 Chromebooks for the immediate deployment throughout the district so that we're able to put devices in the homes of the families that need them. Cox Communications has been a wonderful partner. They're going to do 60 days free internet access, which will take us through the end of the year. TUSD, of course, provides so much to students beyond education uh, in the form of meals or support to students who maybe have mental or, or developmental disabilities. What will happen to those kids? Well, we're going to be working very, very hard with our counselors to also develop sort of an online socio-emotional learning practices component so that we can have our counselors at least being able to remotely interact with students, maybe facilitate some socio-emotional learning lessons, and maybe do some of the small support group facilitation that they were doing. We obviously know that we can't replace the magic of the personal interaction, but we're going to have to make up as much of that online as we possibly can. What would your recommendation be for how TUSD should handle promotion and grading requirements this year? I think we need to have a guiding principle of hold our students harmless. They didn't ask for a worldwide pandemic. My 6,000 seniors in their wildest dreams, in their wildest nightmare, never asked for their senior year to be robbed from them. They never asked to not have a prom. They never asked to not play their final game in their final spring sports season. They never asked for a scenario where they would not be putting on a cap and gown. So any decision that we make here with grades and with promotion has to be recognizing the fact that these kids have been through enough. So for that reason, Vanessa, my recommendation is going to be that we just take third quarter grades because the third quarter academic session ended with the beginning of spring break. So we got three full nine-week academic sessions of learning in. My recommendation is going to be use those grades as the final grades. And any work that students do through the remote digital learning environment can only improve those grades. When you first heard of coronavirus, maybe in December or, or you know, early January, did you ever think that it would come to this? No, no, because I, um, I remember H1N1, you know, I remember the mad cow virus, and then there was the SARS virus of 2004, the bird flu. And I, I did never dream that it would get to shelter in place, self-quarantines, social distancing on a large institutional county and citywide level, because I had never seen it get that way. I always believed that uh, CDC had the answer and that um, the Center for Disease Control, they put together a series of measures that stopped SARS. They stopped mad cow disease from coming in from the UK. They got a handle on H1N1 in 2010 as it was making its way up from the southern border. So, yeah, I'm, I am just uh, continue to be shocked that we are where we are. What are you most concerned about during this time for your students? I, I'm concerned about students who use school to get away from their home life. Students who don't have the responsible adults in the home that we provide them in school. I'm afraid of what home looks like for so many of our students and what we're not able to help them with anymore. That's like my number one concern right now in why we're working very, very hard to at least get our counselors to the table so that they can start interfacing with our students. That was Gabriel Trujillo, the superintendent of the Tucson Unified School District, talking with AZPM reporter Vanessa Barchfield. 
New guidelines on social distancing for coronavirus are also affecting couples planning their wedding day. The Arizona Superior Court is asking people to delay non-essential proceedings like applying for a marriage license. As the Buzz's Vanessa Ontiveros reports, couples are having to decide whether to scale back their weddings or cancel altogether. Maricopa bride Lauren Reimer was supposed to get married on March 22nd. She and her fiancé, Louise Chapman, had waited a year and a half for their wedding. It was going to be a big wedding. Uh, my family is all out of state, and we thought the opportunity for our, our two families to all be in the same place at the same time may never come again, so we wanted to make sure that we could really have everybody there. But as the situation around COVID-19 began to worsen, more and more family members, including Lauren's grandmother, said they could no longer travel for the wedding. Six days before their planned nuptials, Lauren and Louise decided to cancel their big day. It wound up being a no-brainer. We decided that it just it was something that needed to be done. I would have felt terrible if someone got sick or brought something home with them because of an event that we held. Their health was more important to us than our event. Their venue worked with her to reschedule, and she and her fiancé now have a new wedding date of September 11th. Wedding venues are, for the most part, reworking dates for couples who were supposed to get married during the spring months. Sheila Millette, who runs King and Gardens, a wedding venue near downtown Tucson, said that the coronavirus has stopped all business for right now. But she has reworked plans for couples with original dates in April, May, June, and even a few with fall dates. Absolutely. I am working with all of my brides and grooms for the next 60 days or so, trying to get all of their weddings rescheduled. I have had a couple um, cancels, but most of them are just rescheduling to farther out. Tom Hill, who runs Z Mansion, another popular wedding venue in Tucson, said that he and his team got to work early and have been able to adapt dates for all of his couples without a single cancellation. Cancelled or rescheduled weddings also affect the vendors who work with couples and wedding locations to ensure all the details of the big day. Millette said that all of the vendors she normally partners with are not working right now either. No one is certain when large-scale weddings will be allowed again. For her part, Millette is just asking couples to be accommodating as we all wait it out. And please be patient with your vendors and your venue because we have zero control over this and we are just as at odds with it as they are. For The Buzz, I'm Vanessa Ontiveros. With most people stuck at home for the foreseeable future and with finances strapped, it's a good time to remember one valuable community resource, the Pima County Public Library. Even though physical libraries remain closed, there are still many resources. The Buzz producer Ariana Brocious talked with Holly Schaefer about what's available online. Obviously, uh, e and audiobooks. We have uh, platforms for accessing so many digital books. In fact, one of the services called Overdrive has more than 48,000 titles. You have books for folks who love fiction to an incredible array of nonfiction, poetry, books about pets, travel. So it's, it's not just bestsellers, which they are also included, but the genres are very extensive and, and reach a lot of readers' interests. So there's an app called Libby that uh, lets people get access to a lot of these things. Can you explain um, what you can do with Libby and 
Um, you basically would just download it from your from your app store, right? And then you go and um, you'll log in with your library card number and you can start browsing and then um, easily download. And so then you can listen to a book on tape on your phone or read a book on your phone. Yes, yes, absolutely. So uh, for people who don't have a library card right now, um, is there a, a way to get one? Yes, there is. Um, these are unprecedented times that we're in uh, with the coronavirus. So Overdrive uh, has offered an instant digital card. For folks who don't have library cards, they can go and enter their mobile phone number and gain access to the entire Overdrive collection. And so what about people who have kids at home right now? Are there specific resources targeted at school-age children or even younger? Yes, very much so. We have a couple that I can think of are Tumble Books, and we have, this is also from Overdrive, we have a new collection, fairly new. It's, it's, um, it's been added to recently. It's called the Read Along Collection, and all of the books as you're reading with your child, uh, the books are professionally narrated. So you can listen uh, while you read along. Are there any resources we haven't talked about that you want to mention? Yes, absolutely. Our music uh, e-library resources, uh, one of which is called Quello. It includes music documentaries, but also live concerts going back multiple decades. You can search by uh, genre. Again, they have hip-hop and R&B. They have alternative metal, world, vocal, singer-songwriter. The, the collection is just incredible. So that's, um, that's really nice in the music documentaries as well. There's also uh, Freegal, which allows you to download five songs a week and you get to keep them. And then they're offering currently streaming on top of that so you can stream music and uh, that doesn't go against your five checkouts. And are there um, movies too? I'm so glad you brought that up. We have Canopy, which it's Canopy. And then there's also Canopy Kids, which I'd like to mention has um, all seasons of Sesame Street. So for parents out there at home with their little ones, Canopy streaming video for adults uh, features documentaries, independent films. They have the Criterion Collection. It's an amazing resource and also something that can keep you entertained. And so just to reiterate, even though I think people know this, these are public library resources, so these are all free. Yes, all free with a library card. That was Holly Schaefer with the Pima County Public Library talking with Buzz producer Ariana Brocious. Additional library resources are also available, including learning and language tools, magazine subscriptions, and games. You can find a link to those resources in the show notes on our website. And that's the buzz for this week. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Duncan Moon is the interim news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.